Well, good morning. It's good to be with uh, God's people today. Uh, This morning, we are continuing on in our series on on the book of Acts. Um, And as you uh, heard read a moment ago, uh, today we are in uh, Acts chapter 8, specifically uh, Philip's interaction with the Ethiopian official. And we're going to take a look at that in, in just a moment. But before we get into that, as I was uh, reading these words and, and considering this scripture, I, I was thinking about how often uh, we often look for and long for uh, the extraordinary. And, and this, I think, often happens when we're reading the scriptures, is, is we fixate on the things that, that talk about these sort of extraordinary, unexplainable things that, that take place in the scriptures, the, the miraculous the, the strange, all, all of this kind of thing. And I think this is common for us in life, is, is when we look for God, we, we often look for Him in, in these sort of extraordinary moments. And so we fixate on things like, in this story, we fixate on things like an angel of the Lord speaking to Philip. Right? We fixate on this, this sort of supernatural voice and, and direction that Philip receives. Or we fixate on things that come like a little bit later in the story when after Philip shares the gospel with this Ethiopian official that he's sort of caught up in this whirlwind and he's dropped down in Azotus and and suddenly he's now doing ministry there and and we want to fixate on what's going on there and, and we wonder why isn't this happening to me? Why does my life of faith feel so boring? So mundane. Why does it feel like God is absent? Because we're fixating on the extraordinary, the miraculous, the unexplainable. Now those things certainly are present in the life of the church. They're present in the scriptures. In fact, I'd even go so far to say as as there are certainly still times today in the life of the church. Maybe we don't see it often here But globally, where some of these strange, unexplainable, extraordinary things still take place. But when we fixate on the extraordinary, what we often miss out on is the way that God is present and working in the simple, the monotonous, and the mundane. We miss the ways that God and His Spirit are still working in our midst today. We miss the way that God is still present in our own life, the way He is still leading us and guiding us. And not only that, but the ways that He is working through each and every one of us to see that His gospel, His good news of the kingdom of God continues to go forth. I love this quote from from St. Augustine. He says, Men go abroad to wonder at the heights of the mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motions of the stars, and they pass by themselves without wondering. How often that's true for us, that that we look at the extraordinary and we wonder at all the things that God has done, what He has made, how He has worked in the past, And yet we pass by ourselves. We look at our own lives and we see that things are often simple, often monotonous, often mundane. And we miss the beautiful ways that God is still working 
in our midst today. So as we go through this story, I don't want us to get caught up in the extraordinary, though there are certainly extraordinary things happening. I don't want us to get caught up in in the strange, the the inexplicable, the, the, the miraculous. But what I want us to take a moment to look at and and see is the simple and yet beautifully profound way that God is working through Philip to make the gospel known. And in turn, I hope we can also begin to see the way that God is still working in our lives, still working in our church, in our city, in ways that may be simple, in ways that may seem boring and mundane, but ways that are still profoundly beautiful, that He is working in our midst to make that gospel known. Let's take a look at at Acts chapter 8. It says in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. So here we we, we see Philip. He hears this voice from an angel of the Lord, and he is told to leave Jerusalem and and go to, to Gaza, go to this desert place. Now this word desert place here is actually saying uninhabited. So what Philip is told to do by this voice from the angels is leave this bustling city of Jerusalem. Leave this place where there's all these people, all of these things going on. Leave this place that is the center of the Jewish world and go to this place that is uninhabited. Go to a place with no one. And so maybe we get caught up that he got to hear a voice, but I'm sure when Philip heard that voice, he was like, God, what? What? Why? Why would you want me to leave this place where, these, where there's all these people, many of whom do not yet know and do not yet believe in the gospel of your son Jesus? Why would you want me to leave here and go to this uninhabited place? God, this doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. But we see here very quickly that it is not because of the many that Philip is sent there, but it is because of the one. Philip is sent to this place because God has in mind for him this one person that he has sent him to go and make his gospel known. It's this Ethiopian eunuch one who is a court official for Candace, the the, the queen of, of that region. And so Philip is sent there to preach the gospel. He leaves the busy, the bustling place of Jerusalem, and he goes to this uninhabited place. And it all happens quite simply because that's the place that God has sent him. You know, I think we often forget that each and every one of us has been sent. You and and I and, and every person that is a part of the church of God, we are sent. Now, it may not come 
with a voice from God. I know sometimes I wish that maybe it would come from a voice from God. Hey, God, can you just tell me, like, can I go over there to that place? But he may also send me to eastern Washington, so let's uh, maybe hold off on that. But we often forget that while it may not come from a voice from God, we have been sent because in that same baptism in which Christ claimed you as his own, In that same baptism in which you were made a part of the family of God as you were joined to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Not only were you claimed in that baptism, you were sent from those waters. You and I and all who have been baptized into the name of Jesus, we are sent in that same name. And, And it may not always be to exciting places. Because your vocations, even the ones, especially the ones that make you think, why am I here? What, why am I doing this? God, what, what have you put me on this road and this path for? Those are the places that God has sent you to to make His Son known. Your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, all of the relationships God has given you, your children and your family, all of those people, those are the ones God has sent you to. Those are the roads that you have been put on, the people you've been sent to, to make that good news of Jesus known. And we're called to remember that we have been sent to those people not in pride, Not going to them as if we have it all together and we have every single thing figured out, but we are sent to them in humility. Sent to them to share that the same Savior that we need is the same Savior that's available to the whole world. That's the way that Philip here is sent. He's sent not in pride, not talking down to the Ethiopian, but actually it all begins with him listening Continues, verse 28. This Ethiopian who had been there to worship for for the Passover and the festival season. Verse 28, it says, He was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, it's important to note here that often in the ancient world, actually pretty much always in the ancient world, people didn't read silently to themselves the way that we do. That if someone was, was to read, they would just read out loud. They would actually read it. They would say the words. They would talk to themselves like crazy people. And so he was there, and, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. In verse 29, the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. This is from Isaiah chapter 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. 
And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, told him the good news about Jesus. Notice that before Philip says anything at all, is he listens. He hears that this Ethiopian man, this man who we we can learn just by simply that he owns a scroll of the prophet Isaiah, must be a a man of wealth. He's a man of status. He is a man who who had served in in the the house and, and served in the treasury of the queen. This man is sitting there and he's reading Isaiah the prophet. And Philip hears that and it's in hearing that that he finds his opportunity to speak. He hears it and he just asks a simple question. He says, do you you understand what you're reading? And this Ethiopian man, he says to Philip, he says, no, I, I, I don't. How can I understand unless someone guides me? I don't understand, is is this scripture, is this about Isaiah the prophet, or is Isaiah the prophet writing about someone else who would come after him? See, Philip, he first hears what's being read, he hears the question, and then he speaks. Then he opens his mouth. Then, based on that question and based on that text of scripture, he begins to speak the good news, the gospel of Jesus And he begins to explain, much like Jesus did to his disciples on the road to Emmaus, beginning with this scripture, he tells him all that these words spoke about Jesus. Now it's worth maybe taking a moment to note what these words say about Jesus from Isaiah 53. These are words that are probably familiar to you. They're words that we pretty much read every single Good Friday. It's a chapter that is often summarized in Scripture by this chapter about the suffering servant of God. And and what we have here in uh, in Acts chapter 8 is what's often called a, a verbal tally. The, the Jewish community, where they did not have like their, their chapter and verse like we have in our Bibles, what they would instead use is, is a verbal tally. And so they would cite maybe a, a small section of Scripture to really refer to the whole, the bigger section of Scripture. So we can very naturally assume here that the Ethiopian's not just reading these couple of verses, he's reading the whole thing. And he's wondering about the whole thing, all that Isaiah 53 in that whole context has to say about the Christ. And what that passage has to say about the Christ is basically this. That God's servant would come and he would be scorned, he would be rejected, and he would be killed by his own people. But even through that scorn and that rejection and death, God was working because in that, God was actually dealing with the guilt of his people, Israel. We hear lines like, by his stripes we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That this servant would be rejected by his own people, but strangely, that rejection would deal with the guilt of his people. 
And Philip begins to explain to this Ethiopian official the way that Christ has come and he has dealt with the guilt of Israel. And let me tell you something, he has dealt with your guilt also. Because when the Christ came and he suffered and he died at the hands of those who rejected him, when he was scorned, when he was humiliated, your guilt, your iniquity, your sin, all of your wrongdoing was laid upon him so that you could go free, so that you could be reconciled with the Father, so that you could be welcomed into the kingdom of of God. And not only has God dealt with your guilt there, He's dealt with the guilt of the whole world. And that's the message that Philip is sent to proclaim to this man. That's the message that, that you and I are sent to proclaim to the whole world. But actually, what we need to not forget is that proclaiming this message for us, it begins not with speaking. It begins with listening. Now, I don't know about you, but not many of my neighbors do I stumble upon just like reading Isaiah. That'd be really great. Life's like, oh, have I got something for you? Um, but that's not what's happening. And, and I can assume most of your, your co-workers... Most of your neighbors, most of your family members who maybe are not a part of the church, they're not sitting around reading Isaiah wondering, oh, is this about Isaiah or is he writing about someone else? But we need to remember that Philip would have never known this had he not started with listening. I'm reminded by some, some words uh, from a professor of mine by the name of, of Robert Kolb. He writes this in his book, Speaking the Gospel Today. He says, genuine biblical teaching, that is doctrine, is not correct if it is merely flawless in content. It must also be accurately presented, aimed precisely at the situation of the contemporary hearer. It must be effectively, excuse me, it must be as effectively spoken by us today as it was effectively delivered to the prophets and apostles two millennia and more ago. See, proclaiming the gospel is not just about getting the right words, the right sounds right. But it's also about applying those right words to the right situation. And we can't know what that is if we are too busy talking and never listening. And so our Christian witness, our willingness to proclaim the gospel to our neighbors, our friends, our family, it means we first need to listen. And it's only when we begin to listen that we begin to understand the way that the gospel speaks to the anxieties of our age. And there's plenty, isn't there? We've got people anxious about the political mess of our country right now. We've got people anxious about things like climate change. People anxious about hunger and homelessness in our city. People anxious about too much screen time for their kids and, and all of these things that is bubbling up. We live in an age that is filled with anxiety. An age that is filled with, with fear. 
an age that is filled with, with division and anger and strife. And if we don't listen and hear those anxieties and hear those fears, we may miss the opportunity to proclaim the Christ who enters into all of it. The Christ who promises that he is Lord over it. And even though it may feel that right now our world is falling apart at the seams, in him everything is holding together. That's the truth that you and I are sent to proclaim, but first we are called to listen. Once we listen, once we hear, then we have the honor and the privilege of speaking that good news of Christ who has come to be the hope of the entire world. And when we're given the boldness to speak that, we see what happens next. Verse 36 And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Philip goes as he is sent. He listens to the Ethiopian. He speaks And it is through that word that he speaks that God's spirit works just as he promises it would. And that Ethiopian believes and is baptized. It's as simple as that. There's nothing really all that complicated or or crazy about all of this. It's just one man going as he's sent, listening, speaking, And through that speaking, God works and brings this man to faith. You almost get the sense that Philip is just in the background. He's not central to this story, but it's all that God had done, all that God had spoken, all that God had written. Philip's just the vessel that it comes through. He said, we are all mere beggars, showing other beggars where to find bread. We are all mere beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. That's what we are called to do. To go in humility. To go knowing our own need for provision from the hand of God. And then in turn go to others and show them where we've gotten it. To reflect back what our God has given to us. It may not be that extraordinary. Sometimes it may just begin with standing outside in front of our sanctuary, handing someone a bag of food and saying, you know what, Jesus loves you and I do too. It it may just be the little bit of boldness that, that some of our women in our church have taken to step foot in a strip club, to step foot in a place that is often on the margins and looked upon with nothing but darkness and shame and scorn. And listening to the hurts of those people. Showing up in the midst of their pain. And saying once again those simple words, Jesus loves you and I do too. It's a refrain that actually my wife has been teaching me recently. 
Jesus loves you, and I do too. Because you know what? We are all just mere beggars. Showing every other beggar the place that we find bread, the place that we find hope, the place that we find forgiveness and the promise of eternal life with our King Jesus. God is still working. He's still working in this place. He's still working in your lives. He is still working in you and through you. All that He asks is that you would simply go, that you would listen, and that you would share your bread. Amen?